This is Zoe Church LA. We're not just fans, but rather followers of Jesus. Tune in as Pastor Chad Veach teaches of God's love and how we can live a Zoe life, an abundant life. Anybody come to hear from God? I'm telling you, if y'all feel like hearing this, like I feel like preaching it, it's going to be good up in here. I want to look at Numbers 11 tonight. Numbers 11. And I want to illuminate for our understanding verses 1 through 6. And then also John chapter 6, verses 30 through 35. Numbers 11, 1 through 6. And then John chapter 6, 30 through 35. Pastor Chad already told you, please don't be quiet. Y'all don't make me nervous. If anything I say resonates with you, you can say amen. You can say preach that. You can say, oh, that was good. Uh, (laughs) You can literally stand up in the middle and go, that was for me. You could also stand up in the middle and go, oh, that was for you. For real, you <laughs> needed that. Any one of those will work tonight. Numbers 11, Numbers 11, starting at verse number one. When you're ready to read it, say, yeah. yeah. If you need a little bit more time, say, hold up. All right, whoa, that was a loud hold up. I was desperate, like her app just crashed. I'm going to let you find it. Numbers 11. <laughs> It says, uh, now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. It's already preaching. Look at your neighbor and say, stop complaining. It says, for the Lord heard it and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses. And when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place to because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember, we remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. A quick little context to this text. This is during a time in the history of the children of Israel where God has done a supernatural miracle. Okay, he has set them free. He has emancipated them from the chains of slavery in Egypt. And I love God because he didn't just bring them out. He brought them out with style and grace. I mean, come on people, he split a Red Sea and brought them out with style and grace on dry ground. Red Sea, dry ground. He's like, I don't even want you to get your kicks dirty. Don't you bring anything from your past into your future. Incredible miracle. And they're en route to the promised land. They're en route to the place that God has prepared for them. And en route to the promised land, they say something absolutely cray-cray. They say, God, we want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to slavery. And here's why they want to go back. So they can get some meat some onions, some melons, some leeks. I don't even know what that is. This is why they want to go back to slavery just to get some meat to eat. Y'all, this is the first Hunger Games right here in the Bible, okay? And and it sounds ridiculous and you want to laugh, but can I challenge you tonight, just before you laugh, just to check yourself before you wreck yourself? Because isn't it funny in our own lives, whenever God does something supernatural, awesome, how sometimes it is a human tendency and proclivity to gravitate right back to the very thing that God pulled you out of. They were sick of the manna, which was the bread that came down from heaven. So real quick, John chapter 6, verse 30. I know it's a lot of scripture, but you're getting your Bible reading in tonight. 
and uh, Jesus talks about that manna. It says, therefore they said to him, that him is Jesus, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Jesus like, hashtag, you don't even know what you're talking about. He says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me don't ever have to be thirsty again in their life. Ooh, that's good stuff right there, man. I want to preach tonight, not long, probably about six and a half hours. <laughs> just, just using this as a thought. Faith for the middle. Faith for the middle. Look at your neighbor one last time and say, neighbor. Oh, come on, look him in their face. Say, neighbor, you need faith for the middle. Come on, let's pray. Let's ask God to speak to us. It's going to be a long prayer, uh, but just bear with me. Would you bow your heads? God, you are awesome. Speak tonight. Amen. <laughs> faith for the middle 7 p.m anything can happen in this service tonight <laughs> how many would say uh just by showing of hands that you have been to an airport lately anybody been to an airport lately oh it's a lot of you uh, if you lifted up your hand then you are acutely aware of the fact that what i just asked was how many of you have been to purgatory lately? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, yes, airports and airplanes are the new purgatory. You don't need a viral United Airlines video to know. It's hard out here for a traveler <laughs> in these present days. It's funny, you know, the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Don't forget the last one, self-control. <laughs> If you are a believer, then this fruit should be evident in your life. However, if you're here tonight and you say, hey, Robert, I got all that fruit. However, I've never flown. How do I say this? I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Because the airport is designed to suck the fruit of the spirit out of you. The whole airport is orchestrated to make you lose your Christianity and go off on people, okay? The lost baggage claim desk, the lost baggage claim desk is really just a litmus test to see if you won't say words that you're not supposed to say. Yes, yes, the reason that the person behind the counter is moving at a glacial pace and typing one word per minute and seems to be undisturbed and unperturbed by the fact that you paid them a fee to lose your bag. The reason they're doing that is because they want to quietly giggle on the inside when they make you go off and speak in a tongue that needs no interpretation. They want to laugh when they make you come across the counter and say, catch me outside. How about that? Catch me outside. I'm just saying it's hard out here for traveling. If you're wondering how I got all this travel knowledge, it's because for the last 13 years of my life, last 13 years, there's not been a single week that I have been traveling somewhere to preach the gospel. For the last 13 years of my life, I've been in an airport, airplane, somewhere. And I'm not going to trip like it's all bad. It's not all bad. I mean, come on. I am now executive platinum with American Airlines. 
Holla at your boy, Executive Platinum. And some of y'all are like, Robert, quit bragging about being Executive Platinum. All Executive Platinum means is that I get a half inch more leg room and I get the proud privilege to say, I got on the plane before you. Which if you think about it, is equivalent to saying, I got to prison before you. So <laughs> it's not really that big of a deal. However, I have developed over the years a few personal plane pet peeves. And since we fam, I'm just going to share them with you tonight. Personal plane pet peeves. And a lot of them have to do with the seats that are on the plane. Okay, here's one. I don't like that my seat back has to be in the upright position for takeoff and landing. People, this annoys me, okay? You realize I have two kids under two. Some of the best sleep I get in my life is when I am on a plane. And I have been awakened on the plane for a stewardess saying, sir, get up, get up. I'm like, what, what? We crashing? We going down? No, sir. I just need your seat back in the upright position before we take off. Really? Is this a matter of national security? It ain't like the seat go all the way back. This ain't a lazy boy. The seat only reclines about this much. So in essence, what the stewardess is saying to me is that this is safe. This ain't safe. This is safe. This ain't safe. Oh, I got a lot. That's just one of them. I, I don't like another person that comes on the plane. This is a person that comes on the plane, and they're always late. They're always late, and they're like, oh, Whew, man, I almost missed the flight, but I'm so glad I had time to go to Mickey D's. And they pull out a bag with a quarter pounder with extra cheese and onions, and the pungent odor is now permeating the fabric of my clothes. I don't like that. Player, get you some granola. It's not right. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair that before I got on the plane, if you ask me my fragrance, I would tell you Givenchy. But when I get off of the plane, you ask me my fragrance, I say a number three. I'm wearing a number three because he made a bad food decision on this plane. It's not fair. It's not fair. I got another one. It's going to make somebody mad. They're going to kick me out of Zoe after this one. It's another person I want to sit next to on the plane and I don't want to sit next to the lady with the crying baby. I'm sorry, y'all can get mad if you want to. I'm keeping it 100. I don't want to sit next to the lady with a crying baby that doesn't have an off button. True story, Zoe. I'm on this flight the other day, and I'm getting ready to take off, and I'm sitting next to this lady with this crying baby that is shouting and screaming the entire flight, drooling on my iPad while I'm trying to study. And the flight wasn't that full, so I looked at the stewardess. I said, ma'am, do you mind if I switch my seat real quick? She said, you're executive platinum. Of course you can switch your seat. So I changed my seat on the plane. I get off of the plane. I see the lady with the crying baby, and can y'all believe this lady got mad at me because I changed my seat on the plane. Can y'all believe she had the nerve to get mad at me just because I changed my seat on the plane? Can y'all believe my wife Taylor got mad at me because I changed my seat on the plane? Can't do it. I can't sit next to a crying baby, Ooh, even if it's my baby. But, um, in all honesty, in all honesty, I can handle, I can handle, I can handle the crying baby, I can handle the guy with the burger, I can handle all of the aforementioned annoyances, so long as I'm not sitting in one seat. There is one seat that I cannot sit on the plane. I check it before every flight. I've checked it before I leave here today, and the seat that I cannot sit in is the seat in the middle. I can't do the middle. I don't mind sitting in the aisle. I can get them to go to the bathroom whenever I want. I don't mind sitting by the window. I can take a picture of the clouds, put it on Instagram, hashtag God is the greatest artist. But the seat that I don't want to sit in is the seat in the middle. I can't do it. You understand in the middle, you don't even get an armrest. No, that ain't for you. That's for the people sitting next to you. This is you in the middle trying to figure out how in the world did I end up right here frustrated and hating my life. 
And yet, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, I'm beginning to find out that a life of faith, walking with God, is often lived out in the middle sea. Does anybody know what it's like to be stuck between two different things, just stuck in the middle, stuck, watch this, between where you, not where you used to be, watch this, not where you're going to be, but to wrestle with the complexity of being stuck in the middle. Somebody in here knows what I'm talking about, to be stuck in the middle. This is when the real you comes out, when you are stuck in the middle. That's the part of you you don't put on Pinterest or Instagram because the real you comes out when you are wrestling with the weight and the complexity and the frustration of being stuck in the middle. This is the tenor of my text today because the children of Israel are stuck in the middle. They're not in Egypt where they used to be. They're not in the promised land where they're going to be, but they are stuck in the middle. And no wonder we see the real them because you can't hide the real you when you are stuck in the middle. Before I talk about their middle, perhaps for context, I should back it up and talk about their beginning. And their beginning really starts in Exodus 14. Their emancipation started in Exodus 14. And scholars and theologians tell us that Exodus 14, in Exodus 14, is one of the clearest biblical pictures of what happens when you get saved. If you want a clear picture of salvation, you need to read something that happened in Exodus 14. In fact, if you're a believer, you might want to read Exodus 14 every day, just every day. If you don't want to read it every day, watch the movie, okay? You can go old school with Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments, or New School Bible series, and here's all you got to watch. Watch the children of Israel, watch them walking out of slavery through the Red Sea en route to the promised land. That is one of the clearest biblical pictures of salvation, walking through the Red Sea. Just watch them, just get on DVD, watch them walk through the Red Sea, rewind it, watch them walk through, 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 rewind it. But close your eyes when you rewind it, close your eyes, because you don't want to see somebody backslide, okay? You don't want that on your conscience, okay? Watch them walk through. It's one of the clearest biblical pictures of salvation and here's why because for 400 years 400 400 years that's a long time for 400 years they were in slavery for 400 years they were in bondage and in one moment one night they go from being slaves to being saved in one moment they go from singing songs of sorrow to shouting and singing songs of joy in one moment they go from being slaves to understanding i am a child of god in one moment after 400 years. How dare you sit there tonight and have the nerve, the audacity, the unmitigated gall to say, Robert, I don't know if God can bring me out of what I'm facing because I've been dealing with this a long time. Has it been 400 years? Come on, somebody. There is no stronghold that God can't bring you out of. When God wants to bring you out, Oh, come on, 7 p.m. He will bring you out no matter how long you've been addicted or been in bondage because whoever the sun sets free, oh, come on, somebody, is free indeed. Can we give God some praise in this place today and thank him that when he wants to bring you out, he will bring you out with a mighty hand. After 400 years, they get the victory in one moment. Never negate the power of a moment. You do know that all moments aren't created equal. In one moment, they got the victory after 400 years. Now, we've got to ask ourselves as thinking cognitive individuals, what was the impetus? What was the catalyst of their salvation? You will first note it was not their morality. 
wasn't their morality. It wasn't like God came down with the Ten Commandments and stood in front of the Red Sea and said, do all of you solemnly swear to keep all of these commandments? Otherwise, I ain't going to split the water. Y'all better put your hand up. This water is cold. No, it had nothing to do, nothing to do with their morality. So away with this notion that you got to get yourself together before you come to God. How many know you can't get yourself together? You are too hashtag jacked up to get yourself together. That's why you need a Savior. So funny. Whenever I want to get a good laugh at a bookstore, you know what section I go to? Self-help. <laughs> really? Self-help? If there was ever two words that don't need to go together, it is self and help. How in the world do you do self-help? Yourself is the one that got you in the mess you're in right now. You can't get yourself together. You come to him just as you are. So it's not the morality that saved them. For you spiritual people that floated in the room and had communion for lunch, it wasn't even the spiritual part of them that brought them the victory. It wasn't the spiritual part. Because how many know you got a lot of people walking through this Red Sea, so you got different levels of faith. There were different levels of faith. There were some people who were walking through that Red Sea with big faith, robust faith. They were walking through saying, I told y'all last week we were going to get the victory. Didn't I tell y'all he made a way, he going to do it again. I mean, they were walking through with good old faith. And there were some people who were walking through with little or no faith talking about Moses. I can't swim. Don't you drop your hand, man. Scared to death. So you got different levels of faith. Why did God save them then? Why did he save them? He saved them because they had been crying out to a God that they had heard about but hadn't personally experienced. And that God responded not to their deeds, but to their need. He responded to their need. Oh, I'm so glad y'all began the service giving God praise and also putting needs on this screen. Because if you have a need tonight, how many know you are a candidate for God to do something awesome in your life? Your God don't need anything, but if there's anything he needs, he needs your need. And he showed up in one moment and he brought them the victory in one moment after 400 years. Now, I hope I don't bore you tonight, but we can't approach this text like it's a cute Sunday school story. Because this is an Old Testament passage of scripture. And we can't approach it like it's a cute story because there's so much revelation in this text. In fact, you got to read it with some Christocentric cognizance. Which is the fancy way to say you got to see Jesus all up in this text. In fact, the whole Bible is just pointing to one person and his name is Jesus. And this is an Old Testament passage. And if you study the word, you know that the Old Testament is simply a shadow of what Christ is in the New Testament. It's just a shadow. For instance, those of you at the front row, can y'all see my shadow down there that's being cast right there on that beautiful hardwood? Y'all see my shadow? See my shadow? How many of you know my shadow has to do what I do? Like if I lift up my hand, my shadow better lift up his hand, okay? If I start dancing, hey, my shadow better dance, okay? If I start dancing and my shadow goes, y'all got to find another preacher tonight, okay? I am dropping the mic and running home, okay? My shadow has to do what I do. My shadow is proof positive of two things, two things. Number one, I am real. I'm a real object. And there is light in this room because Jesus is real and he is the light of the world. He cast a shadow, which is the Old Testament. It's just a shadow of what Christ is in the New Testament. Now, you know, looking at my shadow, you cannot get distinctive features by looking at my shadow. Like, you can't look at my shadow and know I'm a chocolate brother. You can't look at my shadow and know my hair color or my eye color because it's just a shadow. That's when you read about certain individuals in the Old Testament who do exploits for the kingdom of God. They are not Christ, but they are giving you previews of a coming attraction. They're just setting up what Jesus is going to do when he steps on the scene. So that brings clarity to this text because we begin to understand that the children of Israel become a shadow of the church and the believer. Pharaoh becomes a shadow of Satan. 
Egypt becomes a shadow of sin, which is why Pharaoh wants them to stay there. Moses becomes a shadow of Christ because he was born for no other reason than to bring salvation, deliverance, and liberation to an entire generation. Come on, is this helping anybody? It's just a shadow of which Christ is a reality. Yeah, the, the Old Testament, the Old Testament Passover that was instituted under Moses, where they would take a lamb, an innocent lamb, bah, and then kill that lamb, bah, and then sprinkle the blood of the lamb on a wooden doorpost. So when the death angel saw the blood of that lamb, it would pass over that house. That's just giving you a preview of another lamb who is going to be slain. But his blood will not be shed on a wooden doorpost. It's going to be shed on a wooden cross. So when you identify with the cross of Jesus Christ, come on somebody, death has to pass over your life disease has to pass over your life lack of hope has to pass over your life because of what he did on the cross oh, the Red Sea the Red Sea that they walked through come on y'all that's just one big baptism party hello and if you ain't got baptized get baptized next week what's wrong with you this is awesome it was a big baptism party because they were saying when they were walking through that water that when I come through this water the old me is staying in Egypt but the new me is coming out of this water ready to step into everything that God has for me now, if that don't make you praise God, something's wrong with you for real, though. Because that's exactly what the children of Israel did. When they looked back and they saw Pharaoh and all of his horses and all of his men drown in that water, they turned all the way up. They started praising God exuberantly. That's why I love in the service. You can always tell in the service somebody that is fully confident that God has brought them out of something. Because that person don't need a praise and worship team. That person don't need somebody to pump them up and say, come on, can we just lift up our hands? No, that person needs a flashback to where they could have been and where they should have been if it had not been for the grace of God in their life. Come on, can we take a praise break in here? Is there anybody that knows where you should be? Oh, come on, you know you used to not be in church on a Sunday night. Is there anybody in here that knows that God has brought you out of something? He deserves your best praise. Hallelujah! They started praising God. They started shouting and dancing. In my mind, I see Moses getting behind the microphone saying, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty. We're free at last. That's how I see it in my mind. In the NIV. Negro International Version. That's a different <laughs> translation. They started dancing. They started shouting. It was an awesome moment. It was powerful. But hear me. Once the water had receded, once all the excitement was gone, after they unplugged Moses' microphone and the smoke was cleared, after the service was over, they're now faced with a question that you always have to ask yourself anytime you've had a genuine encounter with God. And that question is this, who am I now? Who am I now? I know I'm no longer a slave and now I'm saved, but how do I walk in that? when I have been a slave for so long. Let me say it another way. I know I'm out of Egypt, but how do I get Egypt out of me? Ooh, and this is what a lot of church people don't like to deal with. They don't like to deal with the fact that you can be out of Egypt, but not have Egypt out of you. And when you're out of Egypt, but Egypt is not out of you, it is frustrating, it is exasperating, it is the middle seat. <laughs> it makes you feel like you're schizophrenic. Because you know, you know you had an encounter with God, but you still got some Egypt behavior. You still got some Egypt mentality. See, this is when you start making what I call if I, then why statements. Have you ever made an if I, then why statement? It's like, if I have the peace of God, then why am I so stressed out? 
It's like, if I have Jehovah Jireh, my provider, then why is my money funny? My change is strange. I got more bills than I got income, and ain't nobody calling me back after these job interviews. Come on, can we be real up in here tonight? Come on, it's like, it's like if I have the mind of Christ, then why do I have things come to my mind that I know Christ, Mary, Joseph, the wise man, and the donkey would not be thinking about? <laughs> it is indicative of the fact that you're out of Egypt, but Egypt is still coming out of you. What a lot of people don't understand about Christianity that is critical, that is initially, initially, Christianity is a change of status more than it is a change of behavior. Ooh, so nice, I'm going to say it twice. Initially, Christianity is a change of status more than it is a change of behavior. Watch this. They were in Egypt. They were slaves. In a moment, God set them free. Whew, they're now saved. The challenge before they step into the promised land is how do I get my behavior to come into alignment with my new status? And that ooh, is a process. That is a process. And I just felt like it was my assignment tonight to tell somebody, don't give up just because you're in process. Don't throw in the towel and get off the plane just because you're in the middle seat because God's going to get you to your destination. It's a process. Somebody say process. Ooh, I wish it wasn't a process. I wish it wasn't. You know how easy my job would be as a preacher if it wasn't a process? Ooh, I wish it wasn't. I wish walking with Jesus was like Hot Pockets. Well, come on, somebody. Don't trip. Hot Pockets, two minutes and 33 seconds in a microwave, and you got an awesome meal? But I found out in my life that God is a lot more oven than he is microwave. If you're ever going to step in the totality of what he has for you, you got to be committed to the process and just keep walking. Ooh, I'm almost done, but I'm so glad my dad is here tonight because my dad is the reason, I don't know if you notice this about me, that I am African-American. Did you know that? I didn't want that to slip by you. Father's African-American. Uh, uh, my dad is from Nigeria. He's not from Nigeria. He, uh, he came to America, came to America, like Eddie Murphy in the movie, and <laughs> he, he met my mama who is American, okay? So when your dad is African and your mother's American, that makes you Y'all a smart class, okay? And my dad's, my dad's uh, Nigerian, and he, I think next month, dad will commemorate like 32 years he's been a citizen of these United States of America, okay? 32 years. Now, when my dad first came to this country, he was not a citizen. He had to apply for citizenship, okay? And I don't know what the process was. I think they interviewed him. He said the Pledge of Allegiance. I don't know what happened. Maybe they stamped his forehead. But when it was all said and done... They said he has now been deemed a United States citizen. But how many you know after being deemed a United States citizen, my father, Robert Madu Sr., did not wake up the next morning and go, hello, I'm Robert Madu Sr., and I am now a United States citizen. How many know it did not go down like that, okay? If anything, he woke up the next morning and he said, hello, I am Robert Madu Sr., and I am now a United States citizen, okay? Bonafide United States citizen. Don't even sound like one, but he's still one. My dad was United States citizen. He had never seen football before, never seen an NFL game. He is watching his first NFL game, looking at the screen going, what are these idiots doing? <laughs> this is not football. The football I know, uh, you take a ball and you kick it with your foot. What is this? This is not football. United States citizen, never seen football before. Oh, it gets worse. He was United States citizen. He had never had pizza before. Never had pizza. Somebody said, you want some pizza? He goes, what is that? What is pizza? I know goat. I know chicken. I don't know pizza, okay? United States citizen never had pizza before. My dad was United States citizen. He had never seen snow before. 
Never seen snow. Now, you can't be shocked at that one, okay, because it does not snow in Africa. It is hot in Africa. I have preached open-air crusades in Africa. It is another level of heat. It is hot in Africa, okay? I stepped off the plane. My nose hairs got singed. That's how hot it is in Africa. I looked at the thermometer. It just said hell. That's how hot it is. It's another level of heat. So he had never seen snow before, and because he had never seen it, he thought that if snow landed on you, it would hurt you. True story. So of all places, he lands for the first time in this country in New York City in the wintertime. So this is my dad walking through New York. I'm laughing because he's in there. This is my dad walking, walking through New York as snow is coming down, going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, don't let the snow get me. Scared of snow. And you laugh, you laugh, but that was 30 plus years ago. Today, huh, the man knows more about football than I do. He'll be at my house watching the Cowboys, God's team, my team, America's team, watching the Cowboys on the screen, throwing pillows at the flat screen, going, these referees are cheating, and so are these Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, son, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's why they are stealing from us. I can't watch this. Oh, my goodness. He knows about football now. <laughs> He'll get so frustrated watching the Cowboys. He'll go, son, I can't watch anymore. Order me some pizza. Now we know pizza. We had an ice storm not too long ago in Dallas come through, and my dad, because he's the greatest man of God that I know and such a servant, he is outside not just shoveling the ice after the storm on his driveway, but shoveling the ice on everybody's driveway, saying, I don't want people to fall and get hurt, shoveling something that he used to be afraid of. See, the enemy loves to come into your mind and make you doubt your citizenship in the kingdom of God just because there's areas of weakness in your life. But you better talk trash back to the devil and say, you're a liar. God's not through in me yet. I'm not perfect, but I'm still in the perfecting process. And sooner or later, I'm going to become all that God has called me to be. But I'm not going to doubt my citizenship. I am still a citizen in the kingdom of God. Come on, all the citizens, would you give God some praise like you know that he is still working on you hallelujah you're still a citizen you are still a citizen in the kingdom of God in spite of your weakness in spite of your flaws you are in the perfecting process of becoming who God has created and called you to be don't give up because you're stuck in the middle just keep walking Somebody comes to play softly behind me. Make me sound more spiritual and let you know that I'm landing the plane of this sermon. <laughs> I love God because he takes them, takes them from Egypt. Watch this. Not straight to the promised land, but through the wilderness. He says, in order for me to get you into the promised land, I got to get Egypt out of you. And he takes them through the wilderness to do it. I was reading, I was like, God, why would you take them to the wilderness? That's a jacked up place to take somebody. Come on, there's no life in the wilderness. Come on, you never in, in Genesis see God when he's creating the earth going, let there be wilderness. It's dry. There's no resources. I mean, I found even in my own life, some God, sometimes God will take away your resources. So he'll prove to you that he is your source. He's every single thing that you need. She'll be confident of the fact that Jesus plus nothing equals absolutely everything. Some of you in here right now are in a wilderness season and things are being stripped from you. You feel like you're losing everything, but as long as you have him, you have not lost anything. Just keep walking. I had time I talk about all the miracles he did in the wilderness. He did some off-the-chain miracles. People, Moses hit a rock, Fiji water starts coming out of the rock. 
people Panera bread just starts falling from the sky. Incredible miracles. You would think, you would think after all those miracles that every morning they would have got up and said, God, thank you so much for setting us free. God, thank you so much that we're not slaves anymore, but that's not what they did. One morning they got up and said, God, we want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to slavery. What would make somebody cry out to go back to the thing they cried out to get out of? I call it the frustration of freedom. Because the frustration of freedom is this. It is so much easier to go back to what is familiar than it is to walk forward by faith. It is so much easier to go back to what you've always known than to trust God for what's ahead. But how many know God has not called you to walk by what's familiar? He's called you to walk by faith and trust him. Just keep walking. Just keep walking. I, uh, I'll never forget hearing this story of this police dog. This police dog specialized in high-speed chases. Whenever the police were chasing a suspect, they would send the dog after the suspect. And one day this dog bolts out in the middle of a busy intersection. Cars are flying by. Car didn't see the dog. Slammed on his brakes, but it was too late. The car hit the dog, and the impact was so intense that it completely crushed the dog's hind legs. The dog survived the accident, but it affected its walk. It caused the dog to walk by flailing its front legs in front and then dragging its hind legs behind. It would flail its front legs in front and then just drag its hind legs behind. Come to find out, when the dog got hit by the car, it was pregnant with puppies. Dog gave birth to the puppies. Puppies were healthy beautiful. Nothing wrong with the puppy's legs. But when the puppies got ready to walk, guess how they walked? By flailing their front legs in front and dragging their hind legs behind. And the veterinarian had the hardest time trying to get these puppies to realize, hello, there's nothing wrong with your legs. You've just been walking out the dysfunction that was modeled in front of you. So the veterinarian began the process of teaching these puppies to walk the way they were created to walk. Teaching these puppies to walk the way they were designed to walk. Teaching these puppies to walk the way their creator envisioned them walking. Come on, Zoe. You think you came here tonight just to be a part of a cute church service? No, every time you come into the house of God, every time you hear the word of God, you know what God is doing? He's putting strength in your legs. He is teaching you how to walk the way you were created to walk. That's why you can't go back to what's familiar because God has got greater that's in front of you. Come on, somebody get up on your feet and give God some praise if you believe there is more in front of you than what's been behind you. Hallelujah. Just keep walking. It's greater in front of you than what's been behind you. I know the enemy's loud in your ear trying to get you to go back to what's familiar. God hadn't called you to walk by what's familiar. He's called you to walk forward by faith. Just keep walking and trust him even in the middle sea. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope you are inspired and encouraged by the message. 
To get more information about Zoe Church, check out our website, www.zoechurch.org, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the newly added Snapchat under the handle Zoe Church LA. Have a blessed day.